This is the Teachable Soul Podcast. Because we cannot possibly live long enough to make all the mistakes ourselves, let's take a few moments to learn from the mistakes of others. The Teachable Soul Podcast, where guests and listeners like you share stories of failure and teachable moments on the journey to success. Here's your host, Cat Daniels. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. I just wanted to jump in real quick and let you guys know that I am going to be taking a break from posting new episodes, at least regularly. I'll repost some old ones just for you guys to go back and listen to if you missed any. But the next episode will not come out again until May 25th. And that's mostly because my husband's birthday is the weekend before that. But I'm hopefully going to be able to use that time to pre-edit a whole lot of episodes so that I can more consistently post and not be as stressed out about it. So I will post some things leading up to the point. Um, Of course, you'll always have the teasers and everything like that, but I hope that you all will stick around and listen for more. Thanks for listening so far, and I can't wait to show you what the next season holds. And now let me introduce to you Vicki. Welcome to the Teachable Soul Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Daniels, and today with me, I have the pleasure of interviewing Miss Vicki Woshay who is the bionic woman now. Um, After escaping a violent marriage, being a single mother on benefits and or welfare in the United States, she has now rewritten her future to become an author and entrepreneur. Welcome, Vicki. Hello, Kat. Thank you very much for inviting me. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on and speaking with us today. I'm very excited to hear your stories. Do you kind of want to start from the beginning and tell us how school went for you and, and how you became who you are today? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think we are a, we're a recipe and the ingredients are our experiences. But in actual fact, they're not our, they're not the ingredient, it's the taste of the ingredient. So it's not the experience, but how we perceived the experience. Mm. So bullying perceived as a bad thing. And I can't say it was, it was fun you know, at school. It was a very classic thing at primary school where I lived much further out of the village. So in that final summer where everybody's sort of like 11, 12, and they're starting to spread their wings, they were allowed out their front doors because they were near to other kids and they all played in the local village green. But I was maybe two miles out of town. So Mm. unless my parents drove me in, I didn't get in. And so the relationships changed amongst the others and they became a group and I was an outsider. But then that's, that's quite interesting because I think that started to prepare me for secondary school, which don't ever send your children to single sex schools. I know people do it and I know they think it's a good idea. But as a child of a single sex school, it's awful, particularly as a girl. And I can only explain the female side of it. But women females young females are foul to one another maybe Mm. maybe all kids are foul to one another but yeah so that wasn't that wasn't good that was proper genuine bullying as opposed to being more isolated but Mm. that ingredient in the primary school of being isolated and no one speaking to me Mm -hmm. prepared me a little for then when I was in secondary school and no one spoke to me but that was because of a clash of personalities which is effectively what bullying is. And then I was able to go, oh, okay, I recognize this. Mm-hmm. And, and then I can make a decision about what that's going to mean for how my schooling was going to proceed. So I think it's, it's about looking at the ingredients, the experiences of our lives, and then just checking whether we've associated the right taste with it and, and look at whether we can go back and go, 
okay, instead of saying I hate chili or I don't like lemon, go, oh, chili's hot and I prefer things that are cooler or lemon is sharp and I prefer things that are sweet so that you don't make them quite so negative, but you can draw the learning and the understanding from them. And, and that brings us to the teachable soul feeling, doesn't it, for me? Absolutely, yeah. When I was in middle school, I had a very similar experience of all the females kind of ganging up on me. And they were, I mean, females in general tend to be more emotionally abusive, I think, than physically. But yeah, I quit school. I told my parents this summer between my seventh and eighth grade year that I was not going to go back to that school. I said, you have to send me somewhere else. I can't. Yeah. Because, you know, I grew up in a house where physical violence was not an option. And Mm -hmm. I was taught to never touch anybody or hit anybody for any reason. There was never a good reason. So it made me feel more like I really couldn't stand up for myself. Yeah. And so, you know, it didn't matter what I said to them. It wasn't going to hurt them, you know. And so I just was in a situation where I was like, I can't go back. But House, how lucky you were that your parents had created a family environment that you felt safe to say that. Um, So many children, for example, with bullying don't have the courage to involve their parents. So, yeah, there's a there's a powerful lesson there, isn't there? And also, I wonder what if you had been in a family that would have allowed you to just punch the bully on the nose? Would you yeah. have stopped them? You know, I, it's, it's a very difficult thing. And, and I think as adults, we can look back when we've experienced this and go, that was someone who was sad. That was someone oh, yeah. who wasn't happy in their life for some reason. And, and the only way for them to be happy was to make me miserable. Mm-hmm. And really, I need to feel sorry for them. Or, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's the way the relationship should go. That's the different flavor I need to stick on this. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. But it's so much harder when you're in the middle of it, feeling isolated. Yeah. 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 And I wonder that too. I did, I kind of a little bit snapped one day and got in someone's face with my face, but I didn't, I didn't hurt them or hit them, but she was pushing me physically like throughout the whole class. And the last time she pushed me to where I was carrying like six or seven books. I do not know why, but (laughs) I was carrying a lot of big, heavy books and they were stacked up on my table. We were fixing to leave the class to get out for the day. And she pushed me and that knocked all these books on the floor. And so I picked them up. And as soon as I finished picking them up, she was still talking about me behind me. And so I had had enough and I got into her face and I said, don't do it again. And I walked away because luckily I had enough foresight to realize that even if the teacher wasn't in the classroom, all the other kids would happily wrap me out. Yeah. <laughs> and so as soon as I walked away, the teacher walked in the classroom and she made some snide remark, but she never spoke to me or even looked at me sideways ever again. Wow. Because, yeah. because at the end of it, bullies are cowards. And, and I think it's interesting too. I'd, I'd love to know more about your life now and whether you feel that you're a strong woman now. And I feel that I'm a strong woman. I mean, we, we mentioned a bionic woman. That's just a joke because I've had these two hip replacements and I've got more metal in me than I've ever had before in my life. But but I do still, you know, even before I was a bionic woman, I I still felt like a strong woman now. And I think that I'm a stronger woman because of these experiences that I've had. I don't know if you feel the same. Uh, Yes. So actually, so when I went into high school because of the experiences I had had, and of course, like media and TV shows and stuff at the time, I thought going into high school that I was, I was the new kid 
uh, because we had moved the summer between um, eighth grade and, and going into high school. And I was the new kid and I just was for sure, I was going to walk into this mass, like everybody was going to be against me and hate me for no particular reason. And it was just going to be a horrible bullying session essentially for me for the next four years. Mm. But I walked in and nobody was like that. Absolutely not a single person was like that to me that I recall at all. <laughs> wow. Kind of shocked. Yeah. Uh, but it was, it's funny because, you know, even then and, and looking back now, I, I kind of went in with this really, really guarded persona. Like I'm going to look at everybody else sideways before they look at me sideways and trying to, you know, it's a defense mechanism trying to protect myself, but it didn't turn out at all the way that I thought. And actually that's kind of, I think probably where I came up with. So I am, um, my husband and I are very much opposites, but I believe, I try to think that everybody has good intentions, has been very much is like, oh, you need to protect yourself and be guarded and da, da, da. But I'm like, I would rather live in a world where I was, I was open to everybody and hoping that everybody was going to be okay than to live my whole life protecting myself and guarding myself. And, yeah. you know, I think that actually started because of the experience that I had in high school where like I came in guarded and nothing bad ever happened. So actually it's safe for you to be open and unprotected. Yeah. And I could have had such a much better time even if I mm -hmm. had not have come in with this perception of bad things are going to happen. Yeah. You know? Well, and that's what I mean about the flavor and going mm -hmm. back and, and checking whether you've got the flavor of the ingredient, right. Whether you've got the perception and the thoughts you have around the experience, whether they, they are actually what happened. And I long for a time machine. I mean, for so many reasons, I want a time machine. I want to go back and look at why this road is where it is and what this village I live in looked like before it was all built up like this. And right. uh, yeah, and I just, I just would love to do all of that, but I'd also like to be able to have like a little mini machine. I think I also need to maybe be Ant-Man in a time machine so that I'm small enough so that I can be this observer without impacting on where I'm observing right. and, you know, go to your school and watch you come in, in your protective mode and go, actually, did you even need to come in protected? Mm -hmm. uh, were actually this just a nicer bunch of kids that had grown up because you'd moved areas even, mm -hmm. you could have just been in a different area where the children were nicer, you know, yeah. and, and if you'd gone to the secondary school from your middle school in the same location, maybe mm -hmm. those kids, you would have gone up with the same kids that have been bullying and the, the vibe in the school might have been different and you might not have had a good experience. So there are so many, I don't know, it, it's, it's, not, it's not forks in the road even. It's like right. we're all on a spider web and there's, mm. there's the, the crosses and the, you know, the verticals and the horizontals and the diagonals and then there's all the circles all the way around the web. And mm -hmm. at any point you come, there's not just a choice of left or right, right or wrong. There's a choice of, I don't know mathematically what that would work out at, but I'm going to say six, mm -hmm. write in and complain if I've got my maths wrong on the, but you know, at any, any intersection on a spider's web, let's just imagine that there were six different ways that you could go. And, you know, if, if that's what every moment in our life is like, then we've just got to make sure that we are drawing on our past to give us the skills to go forward to our futures but making sure all the time that we're taking with us and going back and checking that we're taking with us the best possible perception back to this flavor, the best possible flavor forward mm. so that we're not then limiting down 
those six options that we have back down to just one or two options because I right. think it's when life presents you and, and I like you very positive I feel that life is full of opportunities that they're there for the observing um, I mean having said that there are still days where I get myself in a bit of a you know a fog or a mess or you know I get grumpy and then I'm going mm, why are you being grumpy today and you know what is it that I'm grumpy about and unpack that and why that and why that and then I work my way back to something and it's usually because something hasn't worked out the way I wanted it to so I can go and address it or yeah it, it's usually some form of a frustration that yeah. I expected something or I wanted something or I planned for something so something in the future then didn't appear in the way that I had hoped that it would mm -hmm. or even worked for it to be and so then I've got to like wind back and go okay not where did I go wrong because that again is one of those binary oh so you did something wrong no I didn't do something wrong but where can I improve mm -hmm. how can I go back and correct or no even that's that's a, a one of those words isn't it but it's everything is a lesson anything mm -hmm. there is there is no failure it's just a lesson on how can you improve on that situation if you want to because many of the things that you'll have done in your life um, will have come with the most wonderful outcomes for you and they've been the most wonderful opportunities and then mm -hmm. it's still nice to go back and reflect on those and go ah so what went so well this time and how can I do that again? Exactly. I mean, I couldn't agree more, obviously. My podcast is a teachable soul. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, in answer to your question of strong woman, I mean, I do see myself and have always seen myself um, as a strong woman, but I think I'm just getting stronger, but getting stronger by like kind of looking inwardly um, is what I've been doing now. And yeah, that's another point that you said was kind of going back and looking. I whenever you're having a bad day, I look for like triggers. I'm like, okay, well, what, what exactly here set me off? Why would that have set me off? And it's usually has something to do with like something that's happened in deep in my past or a long time ago or whatever the case may be. And I'm like, okay, so now we need to figure out how to work through that because clearly that's not exactly what's happening here. It's just- that, That's what I mean about the flavor, isn't it? So yes. you've had an experience in the past and the meaning that you've attached to that experience you've brought forward it's mm -hmm. triggered something. And then when mm -hmm. you review it, you go, but now I'm an adult. And with all the experiences I've got, I can look back at that and see that it wasn't, it wasn't the way that I remember it and actually then remember it in a different way. And it's mm -hmm. interesting too, I think you're saying you're describing strength in a different way. You're saying you're getting stronger, but that doesn't mm -hmm. mean to say you've got more muscles you might have, but you're not getting louder or brasher or more forceful or imposing on anybody else. Strength isn't something that comes out of you in a forceful way, which will then have an impact on others, your strength is actually inside. It's your core that is not firming up, but becoming more, more flexible, probably, more adaptable, maybe. You know, those, those in, it's the inner strengths that I think that make us powerful. Right. And do you find, that when you meet people that people meet you and think that you're you know i'm going to just use some words that might trigger so excuse me do they think that you're lovely um because i can't see you because we're not doing video we're just talking do they mm -hmm. see you as soft do they see you as as sweet as lovely do they perceive you in that way or do people perceive you as 
strong. No, I think they probably perceive me as, as soft. Ah, um, see, now that's probably well, where we're differing now then. That's interesting. Well, okay. Let me, let me, let me, let me go back. So I mm-hmm. want people somewhat to perceive me as soft. I don't, I don't want to pose a threat to anyone. I'm not here mm-hmm. to do that. However, actually the last place so, so this goes back to like your, your definition of strength, right? So mm-hmm. a boss that I worked with, she, it was at a startup and she was doing it. She was, it was a tech startup and she, I worked closely with her. She's the CEO. She's the owner. I was her right-hand person for a, a year. And she actually told me that she did perceive me as a strong, confident, independent person, which I am. I know that technically, but I don't, I don't, <sighs> I don't want to be perceived as this like strong, confident, independent person who's going to roll over everybody. I want to be perceived yep. as a strong, confident, independent person who's going to bring everybody in and bring everybody together and, and have everybody as a community and do things together. Does that make sense? Mm. Oh, no, absolutely. And I would say I have that as a wish myself, mm. but it's interesting that my experiences, let's say over the last 20 years, so sort of the second half of my I'd like to say it's the second half of my life but it's really the second 40% of my life um okay. but, you know the, the second half of my life I have had a number of conversations and and one and again I I think it's about how I'm perceiving a past experience but the past experience the trigger if you like mm-hmm. is I used to speak at events and the guy who was the lead at the event would introduce me as Vicky Wachey she's scary And I found that I started, the more he said it, you know, like it's a drip, 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 scary, 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 scary. And then eventually you get to the point where you've said scary so many times Mm -hmm. that it's starting to penetrate. And Mm -hmm. then I found myself coming on and instead of being the naturally strong and confident Vicky, I was coming on and being apologetic and making a joke about, I'm not that scary. And, and I give great hugs and we can have a hug afterwards. And then I found myself swinging back the other way when I wasn't being introduced from him and then saying to people, Oh, some people find me scary. So mm. then I'm, then I'm propelling on his opinion of me, his label. Cause that's another thing I find really interesting is the labels that we allow to stick to ourselves, right. this label to, to, go into my future and then being in that position where uh working with a coach he he explained do you have marmite if you have vegemite you know Mm -hmm. that sort of umami brown stuff that some people stick on toast yeah so the thing about marmite that, that we say here in the uk is you either love it or you hate it and i think that's part of um their marketing um and what he was saying is that you don't need everybody to love you Mm-hmm. You only need the people that matter to you to love you and to to care about you and to care what you say and to care what you do. So like you're in a circle and mm-hmm. the people that don't really matter to you and the people that don't really care about you. It doesn't matter what their opinion is because they're not important. Mm-hmm. So then I started to sort of take that on board and go, well, actually, OK, so I need to be the authentic me. And if you like me and you find what I have to say interesting or what I have to say valuable or again, like you, I want to help. I want to work with people. I want to be, be part of, of bringing together communities. And that's often been 
my job when I used to have a job was about bringing people together. Mm-hmm. I want to be that person. I want to do that. That's where my passion lies. But mm-hmm. at the end of it, if when some stranger meets me, they decide they don't like me for whatever reason, that's actually about them. That's not about me. Exactly. And, and remembering and having to remember that so that then there was this phase where, you know, and it, it is a, it is a bit of a roller coaster that you go through, or there's some sort of wave that you're going through. So originally I was naive. Then I had this experience that prepared me for, oh, so you can have experiences like this. Then I had another experience and it wasn't nice, but I don't think, I don't think my bullying didn't result in me, you know, coming home from school crying. Um, I wasn't happy at school because I didn't have friends, but then I had a great social life outside of school at the weekends. I then realized I enjoy the company of boys more than I enjoy the company of girls because obviously girls was my weekday misery and and I would go out and be sporty with the boys at the weekend. And so you learn, you learn things and then something else comes along. So in the workplace, somebody else is a bit of a bully and then you go, oh, I don't like confrontation because before it was about shutting the doors and excluding and this type of bullying is about like you had the girl in your face. And mm-hmm. oh, I don't like that. So now I'm going to decide I don't like confrontation. Then mm-hmm. that modifies your behavior. So then there are other situations where because I don't like confrontation, and that was one of my old experiences and my old perceptions of that experience, I hadn't had it enough time that I could go back and check on it. When I came into the situation where he wasn't a boss, he was a peer. And I was doing him a favor by coming along and adding value to his event. When he introduced me as scary, instead of going, why do you keep doing that? Or please don't do that. Or here, I've written another introduction for you. Why don't you introduce me like this? Maybe because I don't like confrontation, I didn't do it. And then because I didn't tackle it, then it perpetuated. And then it had another knock on effect because now I've stacked on top of a dislike of confrontation, Mm. the word that I'm scary. So I don't like it when other people confront me, but maybe other people find me, oh, now look, I'm adding two and two and getting 10. Now maybe other people find me confrontational. That must be it. Because I don't like that when that happens to me. And if Mm. they think I'm scary, maybe I'm doing it to others. And then then you sort of withdraw. Yeah. And then when I'm in a, in, a, in a marriage, instead of standing up and being an equal partner, then I'm subjugating myself because I don't like confrontation. I must be, and then you add to it, you know, I must be bad in all sorts of different ways that this person is cross with me. Instead of going, hang on a second, I'm fine. It's actually their reaction. It's their, it's their stuff, not, not me. It's mm-hmm. their stuff. Now, that doesn't mean to say none of us are at fault. No. And we can have sharp edges. Yes. But it's about identifying when you've got a sharp edge that you can soften. Mm -hmm. And when actually it's it's the piling up of labels and experiences and therefore you can look back and learn from it. And that's what's so exciting about being a human being. (laughs) I don't know that the great apes or the dolphins that are meant to be really intelligent or even the elephants with their wonderful memories, with all the wonderful memory that an elephant has. I wonder if it's going back and going, oh, you know, when when my sister-in-law bumped into me with her trunk, that wasn't because she hated me. It was because it was a narrow gap and we both got there at the same time. You know, I, I don't imagine that anybody else on the planet Mm-mm. has this 
wonderful ability, this gift yeah. to just go, hold on a second. Let me just have a look at where this is coming from. And again, that brings us back to because we are teachable souls. If, <laughs> if we open up to that idea. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I, that's exactly, I took that same path and went down that <laughs> same human experience where, you know, I, I didn't like confrontation. I didn't want to be confrontational. Mm. I, I thought that something was wrong with me when someone was angry with me and then realized that, you know, someone's anger or someone's sadness or insecurity or whatever had absolutely nothing to do with me whatsoever. You know, just in the way that we can look back on on things that, you know, we're, we're like, oh, well, I learned a lesson there and going forward, I'm going to act this way in order to prevent that from happening. Or I'm going to act this way because I don't want to live my life that way. Like mm-hmm. people can do that. And so you have to hold other people accountable to do that so that they can feel allowed to do that instead of trying to project their unhappiness on you. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? And we were having this as a conversation. I, I just came from lunch with my daughter and son-in-law and our new grandson so we had a little sneak out he's 18 days old which is just oh fabulous gosh. i know so tiny just just wonderful so we went out to one of our local restaurants and i just had a little walk down there went for for lunch with them and, and the conversation and i was talking to them about a situation i had and i can't talk about it because obviously it was in a private group and if i talk about it then who knows might listen not that i would name names but right. but the situation would be too identifiable mm-hmm. but what it brought us to was the fact that we don't seem to have the ability to disagree with one another anymore and i don't know how you're feeling it in america but of course yes. you know we've done all this ridiculous brexit stuff and Mm. and obviously you've got trump versus non-trump and people hate people for having a different opinion when when did that appear right that feels that feels really new it does because like people used to have well okay so if you're asking my opinion was brought up to never discuss politics or religion yeah yeah and i think that's sort of fairly sane except when there's a few glasses of wine and a beer involved and you're with family and then you know the gloves are off and you discuss all sorts of ridiculous things but your love for one another allows you to get over it yeah well for some people not in my family that's not how we do that at all I actually came to the conclusion recently that in my family, we have a long, long, long history of cutting each other off just for being angry. But I mean, it's, it, we definitely need to have, be able to have conversations where we can either agree to disagree or mm-hmm. say, okay, you're allowed to have your opinion. I respect your opinion. I understand where you're coming from. It's different than mine and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's not even that hard. <laughs> no, no, because we're being logical, unemotional, and we're stone cold sober. And it's not to say that all of these disagreements happen with alcohol, but I know mm. in my family, and it's particularly triggered by my son-in-law, who I think it, he, he has a passion for debates. Ah. Um, so he loves to start them. Now, one yeah. of my daughters and I, we will put the worlds to right. We will start off, we do this, you know, we'll have a, We'll have a Zoom call because she lives in another country. And in the process of that, she'll mention a book that she's read or something that she's seen in social media. And I'll be interested and I'll ask a question and she unpacks it and I don't understand it. So then I'll question it. But in my questioning of her, 
-hmm. She doesn't feel threatened. She understands that I'm looking to learn and she'll explain. And then we'll spiral off into a, a sort of a how we can fix the world scenario that's the way that's the way the conversation will go we will yes. we will reach a common understanding of what the thing is because she yeah. will teach me enough so that i understand and then together mm -hmm. we will go forward looking for the next piece of learning we can get mm -hmm. when we have the conversations with my son-in-law what he will do is he will throw in something that's controversial and then it's not about us learning his opinion so we can join him it's about him wanting to check the edges of his understanding against the edges of our understanding. Right. So it's a different purpose to the conversation. It's okay. So, so I understand that black can be all shades from dark gray to very, very black. Yeah. Um, but when you say medium gray, you actually mean dark white, you right. know, so that's where your, your line is. And so he's looking to not teach me about his opinion mm. he's quite happy for me to have my own he's not looking for me to convert to his idea or for me to convert to his idea he's not looking for commonality in the understanding he's looking to expand his own personal understanding i think this is what it is mm -hmm. maybe this is the next maybe this is the next debate we have to have why do we have these debates and what are we what are we actually debating right. but i i think that the debate is about him understanding more for himself by testing out things with other people and then seeing what they've got and in a sense you know again going back to a cake mixture he started off with with flour and then he could add a raisin from here and a nut from there and a bit of butter and a bit of sugar and all of a sudden he's got a fruit and nut cake whereas you know he could have got a ginger cake um mm -hmm. if he'd spoken to somebody else and so he's not looking for us to all then eat the same cake we can all have different flavors and we all still love one another and we look forward to the next debate that we're going to have mm -hmm. whereas when i do it with my daughter it's not that she wants to convert me because sometimes i'm the one that might bring the topic up but we're doing it to gain a common understanding as yeah. opposed to a personal understanding now there's no right or wrong no but in both of those there is an allowance for difference that doesn't revolve into hate or punching anybody on the nose or <laughs> never speaking to one another again. I mean, right. we had a, brought it up at lunchtime. We had this awful situation here where one of our members of parliament, because of their beliefs, was killed. Now, I know you've had that happen in mm. the States as well, but mm -hmm. how, how can you do that to someone? Why would you do that to someone? You know, we've got situations now where, and I think it's, I'm going to say young people, because I really don't imagine somebody in their 40s or 50s, even though that's young making these calls, but, but people phone our, um, our services, so our ambulance people or our fire brigade, and I'm not even going to bring the police into it because I understand that people have issues with the police and I, you know, let's not go there, but an ambulance person, how can you have an issue with an ambulance person? How can you have an issue with uh, a firefighter? And yet they will call them either to a genuine incident or even pretend incidences and then look to attack them. Now, few and far between, but it's like a little new phenomenon hmm. of why are you hating on that person? And that's, that's what I think I'm 
I'm interested in this idea of well we happen to be agreeing you and I Kat yeah but we we could be in a conversation where we I don't know let's say you're a vegetarian and I'm a meat eater and you think I shouldn't eat meat because I'm responsible for global warming and I think you should have some animal protein in your diet because actually you're weakening your bones or something oh I'm right. something up but we don't have to hate one another for that no absolutely yeah we, we can respect opinions and yeah. that seems to be that seems to be drifting away now yeah well I think that kind of goes back to people you know projecting their their anger or their unhappiness on other people mm. you know when when people attack people because of their their beliefs they're they're mad at the beliefs they're not even mad at the person yeah know? and so when they believe something so strongly that they it's it just it it's about <laughs> kind of dealing with your emotions learning how to rein them in or or how to understand or how to go back and look at why why would you be that angry that angry yeah. at something like that you know and i just wonder whether this is something that we could come back to in 10 years from now mm. and look at this podcast conversation and go now we understand you mm. were asking the question then about why why there is maybe more anger or more frustration or more intolerance out there actually this is this is the answer and and i think that's what's quite interesting to me is and dare i say it dare i say it Let, let's see if you get angry messages about this but i wonder <laughs> what the role of and I'm going to lump social media in with the press, mm. the stuff that we read, the stuff that we watch, mm -hmm. how much of this is starting to stir up. I always remember watching um, the programs that my children would watch on TV and, and vetting what they were allowed to watch because, you know, there were kids that would play up. There, there would be a program about children that were naughty at school and they would be rude to the teachers. And I didn't want my children to watch that. Mm -hmm. because I don't want my children to think that it's acceptable to be rude to the teachers because they saw it on TV. And yet mm -hmm. the TV makers would say, but this is what's actually going on in the classroom. We need to make a program about the reality so that then we can, I don't know what, yeah. acknowledge that it's happening or something. Whereas yeah. I'm thinking, but there's so many things out there in the world that are unpleasant that I don't need to know about. Mm -hmm. well then am i wrong not to educate myself on the things out there that so i i don't have details of i don't know some religious or political um attacks that are happening in a particular country on the, another side of the world because i have no experience of that other than through the media and if i turn off the media and then i don't watch it therefore i don't know about it mm -hmm. am i wrong or or is it the only way that i can protect myself from getting right. angry about things that I can't do anything about. Yeah. Well, I mean, to your point of, of media and social media, I think it's just an information overload. You mm. know, have, if you're in a country where horrible things are happening or where, you know, your neighbor has something horrible happen to them, you should absolutely take action, inform yourself, and do something about it. But if we're in another country where that's not even something that is affecting our livelihood, number one, you've never been through anything like that. So how can you, even if you educate yourself to the highest extent, it would still be harder for you never having experienced it or even known anyone who experienced it to, to speak on it. 
to do anything about it because you can't, you know, there's, there's some things that you just can't know unless you're in the thick of it. Just yep. like, you know, when you're, when you're in a, a relationship, you know, they say that women or, or spouses who are being abused and are in the middle of an abusive relationship, it's hard for them to get out. Yeah. And it's hard for them to get out for multiple reasons. But one of them, one of them being that if you're in the middle of it, it's, you kind of can't see the, 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 the woods for the trees or, or yeah. that saying. Yeah. Or, or even know right. that you are a tree in a forest and that there are many other trees that are being abused as well. Exactly. So it's, it's, it's a real, this is a real, you know, this is a real moment where we've got a thing here that's, that some of me is going, well, as a human being, shouldn't I be paying attention to what happens to other people so that I can help? Yes, but how can I help? And so I, I remember quite vividly, for example, when the tsunami hit Sri Lanka, we had literally been there that summer and the tsunami hit on Boxing Day. And, and Bob, my partner and I, our first thoughts were, we have to go, we have to go right. and help. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we were out there for weeks. That man drove us around in his van, um, we stayed at that that hotel. Are oh, the hotel owners okay? There was the guy around the corner that gave us the massage. You know, are they okay? Can we go and help? Mm -hmm. And we really had to think through is getting on a plane and flying to an area that is decimated and struggling and, and probably struggling to feed the people and struggling to give water mm -hmm. is, a, is a, what I was at the time, a former university lecturer and yes bob's an electrician but i mean if they haven't even got power is he of any use at the moment is that is that the best way that we can help mm -hmm. or do we just stay here and donate some money to the most appropriate charity so that the most appropriate people can go and help so you have that level of you know i, I can help mm -hmm. when there is a political regime in another country and the people in that country are feeling either oppressed feeling oppressed or are actually oppressed what could i do you know i don't think donating money to a charity and that i'm trying to think of something that no amount of money to a charity is actually going to make any difference to me overthrowing a a, a dictator excuse me calling me a dictator that's an assumption about it but mm -hmm. let's just say they are a dictator in another country no amount of money is going to make any difference i can't get on a plane there and go and make any difference right. and therefore if that then is something that somehow touches me and evokes an emotional response for which there is no outlay, right. am I then not storing up frustration and anger that mm -hmm. then can spill out into other places? And that sort of wondering about the role of media mm -hmm. and how this, as you, you called it, this, this information overload, mm -hmm. when, is it, when is it useful for us to know things? How can we... How can we make it so that the information is pertinent and the information is information that I can go, okay, so in amongst the 24 hour news cycle, we now only have 12 hours of news that we repeat twice a day. So we have half the amount of news, but the news is then something that we can all get behind and that we can make a difference on. Mm -hmm. In theory. Right. But then is that but then is that censorship? So it's exactly. yeah, there's no there's no no solution and it it's sort of it's it's not a it's not really a smiling matter, but it's making me smile with the puzzle because right. this is gonna affect our children and our grandchildren. And having just been to lunch with with 
18 day year old grandson mm. what what is he going to face going forward well i think it's about i mean like we were saying i think that you know if you're if the people close to the things happening would all come together as a community and pitch in to help fix it you know they're close to the situation and they know the most about it because they're in the middle of it mm. you know when a, a woman is trying to or not a woman necessarily. I mean, it doesn't have to be a woman. If, if a person is trying to get out of an abusive relationship, they have to look to their community or the people that are closest to them for help to do that. I think it should be the same way for countries. So that, that brings an interesting point then, Pat. So we're talking about social media and media and all the news, which is all very, very global, mm. is actually the solution the reintroduction of a more community spirit because when you go out and you see people i mean you know even we did it today at lunch looked at the table next to us and and young people have got their phones out so they're not just speaking across the table they're on the phones or sometimes you'll go out with someone and they've got their phone out and they're actually having a chat mm -hmm. on either via social media or whatsapp or whatever with somebody else who's not present right and they're having another conversation about something else they're not fully present in the moment with you exactly. is there a time when we need to be going well i'm not going to walk down the street and read my messages yes in the old days we might walk down the street and and have headphones in because we were were listening to music and maybe we listen to podcasts but what if we only have one ear in you know mm -hmm. do do you have to listen to all your music all the time through the whole you know left and right speaker thing could you mm -hmm. just have one ear in and then when you go past someone, because you're now not looking at your device, smile. Where we've moved to this new village, every person I go past, I say hello to now. It's mm. my, new, my new thing for being here. And we sort of moved at the tail end of the summer and we were busy doing the house. And we can't wait for the spring when the weather improves and we can go outside. And I noticed that they have like litter pick. I, I want to know who organizes the litter pick. And when mm. they go out and litter pick the next time, I want to go and pick the litter in the, the streets with them. And we've had some trees blow down over the winter. And we went out with our chainsaw in the van and we went and cut up one of the trees and we cleared one of the roads. Mm. Uh, and I want to be part of a community. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that is the, mm, I'm not gonna say solution because that's, that's too both too arrogant and, and presumptive. Yeah. Right. But, but I wonder if that's a part of the tempering um, and maybe a way that we, don't have to then be so angry and frustrated at the things that we can't do mm -hmm. if we come slightly and I think that's what you're saying if we came slightly closer to home mm -hmm. and looked at what we could change right then maybe we don't have to feel as frustrated about the things that we can't change because we know we have made a difference where we can where we're able yes Absolutely. And if everybody did do that, it would have a huge ripple effect. I mean, Absolutely. teeny tiny things like picking up litter can have a huge ripple effect. Doing it as a community and getting a group together to do it is fantastic. And helping others to chop down their trees that are, you know, in the middle of the road. Like you helped your whole community when you cleared the road, you know? Yeah, I just, I think that's, that's really interesting, isn't it? And it all then would come back round into a loop because of... Mm -hmm more community spirited we were more connected mm. then that person that was struggling in their relationship 
would maybe get local friends, which would provide them with the opportunity to speak. When they felt like they had a trusted environment, they had a community they could go to, you know, maybe a couple of girlfriends or a couple of boyfriends, you know, that doesn't work for men, does it? A couple <laughs> of girls will go out for a coffee with some girlfriends and the boys will do something with the men friends, you know, yeah. <laughs> whatever, whatever it is, you know, that, that when you then feel like you've got someone local, I mean, hopefully you've got friends that you can speak to, but if you had friends you could speak to, you would probably be speaking to them. And sometimes it's actually maybe those very close, if we bring it right the way back when my marriage broke up, to then go to my parents and say to my parents, there's a problem in my marriage. I just felt like I was going to disappoint them. I was going to worry them. And I was going to disappointment and they were too close. Right. In the end, um, we have something here called the Samaritans. I don't know if you have that in the States. Do you have the Samaritans? They're, um, they're a they charity are. that you can phone up when you um, have got everything from, you know, sort of serious mental health issues through to depression or challenges that you just need someone to speak to. They're, they're just someone at the end of the phone that you can talk to. And I phoned the Samaritans and mm -hmm. spoke to them because they were someone that I could trust because that's what the organization is about. It's about a trusted listening service. Mm -hmm. And they were someone I could reach out to, but not as close as my parents. And then when I could talk it through with that person one step removed, then I could come back and I could say to my parents, okay, so I've been able to express everything that I need. And now I can distill that and say to you, da -da, this is, this is how it feels. And so when we were bullied, if we'd had someone we could speak to about the bullying, then we might've been able to go to our teacher or to our parent. You, you did go to your parent about the bullying, you know, because you, you were empowered to, I just think yeah. there's a whole, there's a whole circle here. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Right. <laughs> so whenever you did get out of your, how you, so you called the Samaritan line to get out of your marriage? Like how, what happened? I don't know. For years, for years, I felt, I'm going to say verbally abused because there was no initial physical violence. So verbally abused, criticized, if you like, or uh, yeah, I, let's go with criticized. But then it reached a point where he could use his physical size to stand in a door to keep me in the room so that I then had to listen to the word. And so there was no escape from the words. And then eventually one awful night things spiraled out of control. And I, I think it was really about lumpy gravy and it spiraled into him putting his hands around my neck and squeezing. And I remember initially fighting and then not fighting. And when I let go, like gave in, uh, you know, I, I'd gone through the thoughts of apologizing to my parents again and saying sorry and and loving my daughters that were in the bedrooms nearby sleeping because they were, you know, both under three and everything. And then did all of this and then just went, OK, I, I give in. I can't fight you anymore. I, I give in. Go on and do your worst. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry to everybody else. But, you, you know, you do what you need to do. I can't fight you anymore. And I think in my release, he stopped. And then I literally, the next morning, packed, got the girls out of bed, um, packed up some stuff, whatever we could, um, and went to my parents um, and never went back to that house again. And it was that night when I got to my parents and settled girls down in bed again that I made the phone call to, to speak to the Samaritans because I, I knew I needed to 
to talk it out. It's quite interesting. So some of the speaking that I do now, sort of based on, on the books that I've written, one of the, the books that I've written is called The Wealthy Retirement Plan. And it's a guide to living the rest of your life in future. It's called The Wealthy Retirement Plan, a revolutionary guide to living the rest of your life in style. And it's actually about how if you take control of your finances, then you can release the financial pressure on you. And when you release the financial pressure, then you can be in a position where you can start to think at a whole new level. But actually what that spurred me into is picking up the sort of the second half of it is how can you live the rest of your life in the way that you want? I believe from a very practical lesson, it's got to be about controlling your money and planning for your financial future, because that's the sort of world that we live in. Right. But the challenge that a lot of people have is that they can't even imagine what the life they want in the future is like. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the talks that I'm doing at the moment is what if I gave you permission to imagine your future? And I found through the difficult days of when I was married and then again later on that I write. So I write my words down because, yes, you can speak. But unless you can find someone who will just listen without challenge or critique and you can speak in a way where you don't fear ridicule, you if you fear ridicule, you will abbreviate yourself without allowing your thoughts to come out. But the process of writing. So I used to write myself letters or I just used to write letters about how I felt when I was married and I was miserable and I, all the things I hated, maybe all the things that I wanted to say to, to my then husband, but didn't, because I didn't like confrontation, have right. the courage to say. And then I realized that actually the way that I was writing then, I was writing as a victim about my victimization. Mm. None of my letters, because I found them some years later, were about how I could get out of that situation, how I could create a future for myself that I wanted to live in. And then gradually I started to write in a different way and I started to imagine the future that I did want and write about that and work my way back to going, right, well, I've written about, you know, the letter M, that's where I want to be, and I'm currently only on the letter C, what are the steps that I have to get to to get from C to M? And then, because uh, I've written a number of books, my fourth book in the, the whole writing process was a wildly random book. So all my books are about property investment and creating businesses and now looking at this wealthy retirement idea. The book in the middle of all of this, book four, which is called The New Estate, Insights from the 22nd Century, great title I then just imagined a world because now I took this idea of writing and I went well what if I see these things that are wrong in the world everything from roadworks and potholes to pollution and plastics to poverty and homelessness to how can we have balanced wages so that everybody has enough but at the same time still allow those that work harder or have more skills to have more so then there was the idea of enough more than enough and make make more uh, much more than enough and Mm -hmm. so it was about just writing all of these random thoughts down and then structuring them and what I did was I imagined a world and, and just picked 85 years in the future because and when I wrote it in 2015 85 years in the future will be 2100 
so as imagining a world 2100 and what would that world be like and then that's my letter m mm -hmm. what are all the things that would change from today over the next 85 years to maybe make my world my imaginary world my imaginary better world a reality so i invented laws i created a movement so a bit like greta thunberg i, I created a movement and laws and and started to influence the values of first my community and then on a wider platform those that followed me and then beyond that started to influence the views of the country and then of course because because i'm british sorry america i made it that we became world leaders in you know certain aspects that we we were leading the way and others then started to observe the way that we behaved in business the way that we behaved in society and they were started to question the way they behaved and started to adopt some some of our behaviors but of course you know i can do that because it, i'm british it was my book and i wanted i wanted the uk to you know to have, to have that position in the future but we can do that on a much smaller level in our own lives oh, totally. so when when i first was writing and and if your listeners don't like and they're listening so maybe they like to listen to stuff well then record yourselves on your phone leave notes for yourself on the phone and then play your notes back to yourself or whatever um, mm. paint it if you want to paint it dance it if you want to dance it right. but what if we could capture where we are now and then give ourselves permission to imagine where we would like to be in the future which is the mm. thing that i didn't do when i was in the dark spell of my marriage i didn't imagine how to get out and what i'm saying is wherever you are now whether you are in a good place or a not good place if you're in a good place, you can still imagine yourself to be in somewhere even better somewhere in the future. And if you're not in a good place now, maybe you're feeling bullied at school, bullied in the workplace, bullied at home, or maybe you're frustrated by the political agenda or injustices that you see wherever you are now. What if you could imagine a better world in the future, which now mm. would only be you know 90 odd 80 odd years away 80 odd years away imagine that world 80 years in the future and then start to ask the questions mm -hmm. what would need to change today so that something then changed next week next year next decade so that by the time we got to 2100 this thing that frustrates me now isn't there anymore and maybe i can't change everything in my lifestyle in my life in my lifetime rather Maybe I can't change everything in my lifetime, mm -hmm. but maybe I can imagine how things that I can change now that are were, were within my capabilities, within my reach, that changes that I could make now will have this massive effect in the future. So exactly. we've got a big thing about plastics, you know, not using plastic bags, not buying another plastic bag. When I go to the grocery store and I know you, we see you on the TV as having these paper bags that your groceries come in. I now put my groceries, like when I pick up potatoes, I don't put them in a plastic bag to then put them into my trolley. I just put the potatoes loose into my trolley. And then mm. when I hand them over to be weighed, I hand them over loose. And then they go into my material bag at the other end of it. That's so tiny. That's not even... That's not even a raindrop in the ocean. That's so tiny, right. the difference that makes. But that one plastic bag 
if I had five plastic bags to shop, and I don't shop every day, but I'm just going to say this five times a week, that would be 25 plastic bags. That's 100 plastic bags a month. Then that becomes bigger than that raindrop. That actually becomes, you know, a golf ball size of water in the ocean. And if we all did it, you know, then all of a sudden we're pouring lakes worth of effort into mm -hmm. changing things. And you don't have to change, not just you cats. One does not have to change everything. You don't have to fight on all fronts. Right. You know, if, if plastic bags don't float your boat, but taking care of animals does or taking care of people do, does, or maybe you are politically minded, mm -hmm. pick the things that you're passionate about. Imagine that world 2100 and then mm -hmm. work out what are the little, little drops that could become golf balls, that could become oranges, that become, you know, lakes worth of impact. The ripple effect. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's kind of also what you were talking about earlier. What did you call it? Um, planned spontaneity? Oh, yes. Planned spontaneity. <laughs> yes, because you like to organize chaos. I do. <laughs> I, I like, I would, I love organized chaos, but I really like planned spontaneity and, and, and the, the reason for it. I mean, you, as I said to you, the problem with spontaneity is nobody knows whether anybody is taking control. Nobody. Mm -hmm. So we, you and I could sit here and we'll have a moment of silence because we're being spontaneous and then you don't say anything and I don't say anything and I don't say anything because you might say something and vice versa. And then there is this great chasm of silence that doesn't work. Mm. What we need to know is that we are having a spontaneous conversation and it will go backwards and forwards. And sometimes there might be a moment of silence while you're thinking of an answer, but mm. I, I'm asking a question and I'm going to expect you to reply and you're asking a question or making a statement and expecting me to respond. So that was our planned spontaneity. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so you were a single mother on benefits or welfare, as we call it in the US. So how did you go from that to who you are today? Because I mean, you've written four books, you're in real estate, like how, what did you do? Well, I think some of it was that imagining the future, right? but I don't think I knew at the time that that was what I was doing. That's one of those lessons that you can go back and see, ah, I was doing that. And now I need to do more of that because that worked really well. But I think the biggest thing for me, you know, as I said, you pick your fight, whether it's pollution, plastics, poverty, homelessness, whatever. For me at the time, and your fights will change over your life or your, your passions will change over your life. My thing was my daughters. You know, I did not want to stay in a relationship where I didn't feel like me. I wasn't happy and I didn't want my daughters to get older and see that this is what being a mother or being a wife was like. I didn't want to be a negative role model for, for two little girls. And it could equally be that you could be a man that doesn't want to be a negative role model for your son or for your daughters, you know, so either, either way around. And when I then, you know, so the first step that I could make, and I have to say, you know, it took me a long while. I mean, I was married for nine years or something. So, I mean, I stayed I stayed for a long while with this, you know, this peck, 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 peck. Right. And then finally something crossed my line. For me, it was, it was physical. So finally, you know, mm. and, it, and, I, and I know that I wrote in those letters, I wish he'd hit me. I wish he'd hit me. I wish I'd get a black eye or a broken arm because mm -hmm. then someone would see. Because again, I was asking, I was asking for people who knew nothing 
to observe something that was hidden in order to rescue me. And it, it can't be that way. You've got to do it for yourself. Only you can make you happy. You know, others might help and be along on the journey, but I couldn't just stay there waiting for someone to come and rescue me. So for me, because of, of that crossing the physical barrier, I left. And then, you know, after just a few weeks with my parents, just sort of getting myself sorted and adjusted, I thought, okay, well, if I've done this because I need to be a better Vicky for my, my daughters, then what's the next step? I don't feel clever. I don't feel capable of getting a job, even though I've had, you know, reasonably responsible jobs before because I've lost all of that confidence. I thought I would go to, I thought I was going to college to see a college course. Um, I thought I was going to go and I learned to touch type and get a job as a PA or something. And I didn't really understand what I was going to. It was an open day. And I found that I'd gone to university to be to an open day at university to see what university courses you wanted to take. And I ended up on a universe signing up for a university degree and did a degree, got a first class honours in the final year of my degree. All while my daughters were still under five at this point, two girls under five, did my degree. I think I was holding down five or six part time jobs. And then I became a, a university lecturer for the next 11 years. Um, until I got into personal development and property and and again it was just I, I happened to be in a place where there was an opportunity to learn learnt things differently you, you your listeners will probably know and have heard of Tony Robbins so it was a Tony Robbins style event run by somebody else over here in the UK and it taught all about NLP neuro-linguistic programming and I uh, understood even though I had been a university lecturer for 11 years I understood learning and the brain in a different way. And I hadn't known to look for the books or to ask the questions because sometimes you don't know what you don't know. So you mm. don't know how to research it. If you had no concept of the word bubblegum, how would you even know that there was a thing that people stuck in their mouth and chewed and made bubbles with? You just, you couldn't right. conceive of it. Yeah. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't know to ask about it or read about it or then go and experience it. So I had no idea about NLP or action learning or, you know, any of that stuff. And I literally went to, it was going to be a two and a half day seminar, Friday night, Saturday, Sunday. And that Friday night, I was buzzing like you couldn't believe. I, I was literally looking like a mad woman where I'm following along with, the speakers writing notes and whatever else but at the back of the book I'm writing all of these other notes about all my insights so I'm participating and sort of observing me participating at the same time I was so excited by this material and it literally just you know that was that was the moment that spun me off onto a onto a whole new life but I would never have got to that event if I hadn't seized an opportunity that came to me in the form of an email and I would never have been, I would never have been on some imaginary list. I've got no idea how I got on that list to get that email to invite me to the event. I would never have been there had it not been for the experiences that I had before. I don't even know what those experiences were that got me there. Um, and I maybe would never have been so excited about education had I not been a lecturer and I would not have been a lecturer had I not taken a degree and happened to become a lecturer and I would never have taken the degree if I hadn't gone to what I thought was a college enrollment 
because I had decided that I wanted to change my future and be a better version of me. All right, in the early days, I wanted to be a better version of me for my daughters. Mm -hmm. And now I am happy to just be a better version of me so that I can show up in the world as the best version of me at, at any time. I don't have to do it for other people now. I can be my own motivation. But that's what I mean about going back and looking at those experiences. And if we can do it with hindsight and go backwards, what if we could project forward to our future in 2100 and then apply future hindsight and then, and then change our worlds to be how we would like them to be? And even if we don't, as I say, make it all in this lifetime, at least we know that we will have been dropping those drips into the sea to start that ripple effect and make a difference. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> super impactful. I just recently started learning about NLP myself. How, how did you use NLP during that time? I fell for it hook, line and sinker. I was in the cult. I had the t-shirt, <laughs> I had the tattoo, the lot, you know, because it can be, it can right. be very like that. Yeah. Um, I used to go out to dinner with friends and the conversation would be, you know, I'd be saying something and they'd say things to me like, can I coach you on that? No, you can't. We're out having spaghetti. Be quiet. You know, everybody, everybody. And, and really, there's still a thing about, isn't there, that coaches really need coaches themselves, that you're only in that position because you identify with the challenges and just fix yourself first and leave me alone. I'm fine. But I, I, I loved the learning and my poor family went through it. You know, they used to say to me, that NLP stuff won't work on me, mum. And then I'd say, well, if that's your beliefs, then maybe it won't. You know, and I just like, right. <laughs> these conversations. And I was away for weeks at a time studying and everything else. And then when I was away, poor Bob, God knows why he's still with me. I might <laughs> be having one of these sessions where you're supposed to be, you know, digging into your bits and letting it all go. Um, and I'd phone Bob up and go, Bob, Bob, I really need to know how you need to tell you how much I love you. Do you forgive me? I forgive you. And he'd just go, yes, I love you. I forgive you. And he's got like no idea what's going on, poor man. Right. And he just got used to the, oh, geez, she's on another one of those. Oh, this is, this is the crying class, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> yes. Yes, Vicky. Yeah, no, I love you. Yes, I support you. What you know, whatever it was I was asking for at the time. Yeah. And, and actually, what I can see now that I've come out the other side, um, I'm not fond of at all the manipulative sides of NLP because people do take NLP for and and can apply those techniques to manipulate. There are, I think, there's even an American guy who teaches other guys how to score with women by. NLPing them. Oh yes, there are many. I actually um, interviewed yeah. a person who was a part of those groups. Uh, oh, did you? I sure oh, did. Yeah, for that because that'll be an interesting. Uh, yeah, I will. He, um, yeah, he had come out the other side and realized that it was just manipulation. Oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Oh, I wonder how that one went with, yeah. with if he was still in the gang. But yeah, so I don't, I'm not not fond of that but what's quite interesting is if you understand it mm -hmm. then you can observe it when it's being done and you can go yes. ah I know what you're trying to do you're trying to manipulate me but in terms of increasing your ability to communicate and connect with people you know I tend to notice when we have fallen into line and we're 
creating the same body language movements whether they're matched or mirrored or whatever so when you do that that's quite interesting like you know if we had the videos on and then i put my uh, my hand to my chin and then you have to put your hand to your chin and, and to know actually oh that's good you know we're really connected and that sort of gives you a nice feeling but i'm yeah. not interested in then going okay so now i'm going to move my hand to my ear to see if you do that and then mm -hmm. if you do that, then I'm going to insert a sentence to make you buy my course or come on a date or, you know, sign yeah. a check or whatever it is. So I don't like that aspect of it. But what mm -hmm. I thought was really interesting was some of the science behind it and understanding the explanations that, as we said earlier, there is so much information overload. How mm -hmm. are we processing this? And to understand that we've got this unconscious level of thinking which is the which is the part of our brain that is making our eyes blink digest our food our heartbeat and everything else and we don't have to be consciously aware of that and then yeah. we numb out the bit where uh, my feet are on the floor my bottom is on the seat my hand is on the table you know we don't need we don't need those currently in my consciousness and therefore my consciousness can be coping with just focusing on you and the conversation that we're having staying in that zone and how our mind processes all this information and therefore if that is the way that it works how much it's picking up that we are unconsciously unaware of and if we are unconsciously unaware of stuff but that stuff might serve our purpose might help us achieve our goals how can we make ourselves consciously aware of stuff we were previously unaware of so more observant and yet not overwhelmed and that that for me is is again back to this whole idea of of creating a life that you want to live if you write it sing it paint it you know people do vision boards and if they really want to get into cutting pictures out and sticking on a board and that board says words to you that you know what that means about your future but if you have that as an image above your screen on your computer, for example, so while you're doing whatever you do on a daily basis, focused in on the screen, your peripheral vision is picking up this image, which reminds you constantly of the future that you have declared that you want and that you can, you can change, but this mm -hmm. is currently what you want. And then your mind can be being aware of, oh, actually, you know, when you were scrolling through that, just go back a minute because someone mentioned something and i think if you read that article that might be interesting and you go oh actually let me just scroll back up i think i've missed something let me just click on yes. this it's interesting and then bam you've just you've just opened up a whole new room full of information that you didn't even know about because your your unconscious helped you but it can right. only help you positively mm -hmm. towards your goal if it knows what your goal is right and that that for me is the you know the, the the essence of understanding nlp that if you can take that lesson away mm -hmm. and, and you don't have to go to nlp if i can say this lesson to you now and that's all you need that actually you you think on many levels there's information overload if you help your mind by setting out clearly what it is that you want to happen whether it's just whether what you have to happen for dinner tonight or whether it's what you want to happen in the whole of your life leading up to 2100 Mm -hmm. and whether you want to make a painting of it a dance move a video or write a book about it you are then helping your mind just keep its eye out as it were for things yeah. that support you and Absolutely. then not 
not to deliver you things that don't support you. So when those triggers that we spoke about way back at the beginning, when those triggers manifest, you can then say to yourself, okay, so that's a trigger from the past. I can go back at that, see it in a different light. Thank it for coming up because it's now taught me a lesson. And I'm now going to put you back into my unconscious and go, you don't need to remind me of that anymore. I've dealt with that. And then right. letting go, letting go of the stuff that, that doesn't serve you anymore. And then filling your mind with the stuff that does serve your purpose now. Yes. So I prefer to live in a logical world where things make sense um, and have an explanation, but I don't, I can't ignore the fact that like, I know things sometimes before I understand why I know them. Mm. And I think that that whole NLP and kind of paying attention to your, to your subconscious mind that is really going to lead you down the path that you're intending to go towards is a huge you know, thing, you have to listen to your intuition because, you know, sometimes your unconscious mind or your intuition or your spirituality or whatever you decide to call it is telling you something that you actually do know yourself. You just don't know that you know it yet. Yes. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And it's yeah. such a powerful thing when you know about it, that it makes it even more important that you give yourself the right messages. And that brings us back in another loop. Mm -hmm. Back round to what do you read? What do you observe? Mm -hmm. Do you get yourself wound up about things that you have no skills and no talent to offer to? You are not going to be the solution mm -hmm. whatsoever and get yourself angry about that. Or do you bring yourself back and focus on the things that, where you can make a difference? And, and I think that if you can, you can weave that out. And that, that was a good reminder for me the other day because we've got back-to-back -back news about the coronavirus here and I don't I don't know how your media is doing out there it's just crazy crazy and I got so angry with some reporting on the news that the way the the reporting went is that the the mortality rate is two percent in Italy three and a half percent in China and five percent in Iran and basically 80 percent of the British public and this isn't true folks okay but this is what they were reporting 80 percent of the british public are going to end up with the disease and in hospital and then the, our health service won't be able to cope and basically we're all going to die right that's the end of it. Oh, right. oh no 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 it wasn't just that we were all going to die first there was going to be a global meltdown and a reduction of gdp where everybody is going to be on everybody's going to be at home sick and self-isolating nobody's going to go to work and then there's going to be nothing in the shops and nothing to sell, nothing to buy. And then there's going to be an economic recession. Sorry, that was the end of the conversation. And then he said, and then he said, and the University of Michigan, and then they put up this nice little triangle. The University of Michigan has done some research. And what they've said is like the top third of the triangle is actual mortality. And then the second middle third of uh, the triangle, it's not an even well, it is even depths. Of course, you know, the top triangle is tiny. The next triangle is a bit bigger and the bottom triangle is the biggest. So then the middle triangle is people who get the virus and get ill, but don't die. And the bottom triangle is actually people who get the virus with very mild symptoms and don't need any treatment. So that's what they're saying. And then the University of Michigan then said, and then you zoom out from this triangle and you make this triangle actually the top of a much much bigger triangle that actually there's this whole iceberg of people underneath who mm. have got the virus so weakly that they're not even aware that they've got the virus that they don't even need treating and therefore 
actually the mortality rate is probably less than one percent mm-hmm. now less than one percent that's less virulent less um spreadable and less lethal than the ordinary common flu that we get every year and we don't go through an annual global meltdown with everybody staying at home and the national health service and your health services all falling over because of the disease and Mm. it's just it's just not like that and actually yes the older you are the more vulnerable you are if you're already ill yes you're vulnerable but then that happens with all forms of flu Mm -hmm. um and then the next morning literally not even 11 hours later let me think this was like eight hours later so the ticker tape the night before had been 80% of the, you know, warning 80% of the UK population uh, could get the virus, um, mortality rates, you know, rising to 5%. Um, mortality rate in Italy had gone from 12 to 52 people, you know, so it was making all these dramatic big numbers all over the place. Next morning, the ticker tape, and they didn't say a word about it, uh, mortality rate expected to be less than 1%. and um what did they say like only one in five people to be affected which by my math is 20 percent, not 80 percent of the population and literally overnight they changed the story but all night i'd laid in bed angry laid in bed angry not able to sleep from about two in the morning Mm. angry that they had that they had through what i felt was very irresponsible reporting impacted my future they were going to create because you know if it's all self-fulfilling prophecies they were going to create a global meltdown Mm -hmm. they were going to give permission to bunk off work even though they didn't have any symptoms and then we were going to be in trouble and businesses were going to go under and then you know inflation would rise and everything and we'd all be at risk when actually there was no reason for this at all and i was so angry about it but that's the thing isn't it i laid in bed all night angry Mm -hmm. i didn't do anything about it I, uh, i was thinking about blogs and videos i wanted to put out I'm glad I didn't now in hindsight, but I should have got up. I should have just written the article or recorded the video or, Mm -hmm. you know, should have just done it and got it out of my head and just finished with it. It served me no purpose whatsoever to be that angry for eight hours. Right. And then made you probably tired the next morning. (laughs) Tired, miserable, frustrated. It solved nothing. You're the person I've spoken to about it. I haven't, I haven't written to the news channel and complained. I haven't put in a complaint to the, you know, our moderator of, of news. I haven't done any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I just festered, mm-hmm. but I festered on something I couldn't, I couldn't change. Right. Or didn't change. Couldn't, couldn't change, but didn't change. And actually it served no purpose. And therefore coming back to then rewriting my story to be very clear about how we can change our own futures mm-hmm. we just need to decide and then bringing together things that support us people that support us information that support us opportunities that support us to create the lives that we want to then reflect on things when they come up for us either mm-hmm. positively or negatively as a lesson from our past to help us again go forward and create the futures that we want. But if you don't, if you don't stake in the ground, that future that you want, then all of these opportunities are still around you, but you're not taking any advantage of them. And, it, and it's, it's a waste and it's no wonder you feel frustrated. Right. <laughs> yeah. The news here is just saying, so do you know who Trevor Noah is? I don't think I do. No. Okay. I love him. He's hilarious. 
Um, but <laughs> I don't generally watch the news because there's so much fear mongering like that, that goes, mm. I wholeheartedly fall prey to it and do the exact same thing. And I know this about myself. And so I just like, don't, I get the news from like my mom who watches it all the time or my brother who occasionally <laughs> up in, you know, once a week or so. Yeah. And I'm like, tell me what's happened because I probably can't do anything about 90% of the problems that are in works right now. And even if I could, by the time I get to around to being able to do it, it's done like it's it's done and it's gone and there's nothing else I can do. So I'm not going to worry about it. But <laughs> Trevor Noah is the host of The Daily Show now, which is a nighttime talk show, you know, that takes the news and, and puts a comedic spin on it. Very legitimate, actual news. They just make it funny. And <laughs> which I appreciate because there's so much doom and gloom in the world. I prefer to just look at things from a sunny perspective sometimes. But he has a, a segment on his show called Is This How We Die? And <laughs> they've been making fun of like the coronavirus. And so yeah, I love the Daily Show and I specifically love Trevor Noah. But I think I think any show that has the is this the way we're gonna die as a regular statement and, and section on there, that's gotta be worth a watch, isn't it? <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, they have many segments on their show like that, that, you know, kind of make fun of, of situations that are just so outrageous sometimes that you can't even believe that it's happening. <laughs> yeah, I love it. But all right. Well, thank you so much. This is a very long interview, but I am so glad that we had this conversation and you are a beautiful, beautiful soul. And I appreciate you coming on and, and oh. on your, your. Oh, wow. Thank you. That's very kind. It's, it's been really lovely having a conversation with you. We should have got a cup of tea to start, shouldn't we? I know, yeah. right? <laughs> if you ever come over across the pond, just read. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Kat. I've, I've really enjoyed having this conversation with you, as you say. Yeah. Well, I have five books now, but that's okay. So, <laughs> yes, um, there's a website, and I'm sure you'll put it all in the show notes. Mm -hmm. And the website is vickywoshay.com, and that's spelled V-I-C-K-I-W-U-S-C-H-E. And then I'm on all the social media, even though we just spoke about the perils of social media. I am on all the social media and mm. I've got a hashtag Wooshanomics. So that's mm. a, a play on my name, which is W-H-O-O-S-H-O-N-O-M-I-C-S. So Wooshanomics. Um, and, you know, if, if you are someone that wants to look at how you can think about your wealthy retirement plan and your future then what I created was an online quiz which you can access through my website so that's uh, vickywoshay.com forward slash scorecard and that takes you through a series of questions to help you get back a score and a personalized report to give you tips on what you can do to be more clear about the future you want how you can get more in control of your own finances recognize the resources that you've got, um, check that they are being leveraged in a way that serves you and the future that you want to create, and then consider the legacy that you want to leave at the end of it, you know, the impact that you, that, that world that you want to see come into fruition in 2100. Um, so that's there and that's just, a, that's just a free online course. And of course, then all the books, you can just Google me on Amazon and you'll find them there. Some of them are about property investment which maybe isn't as relevant to some of the people in states um, but property for the next generation I think is I hope a thought-provoking book about the changing nature of property because we're very hung up in England about 
owning property and i don't think you need to own the house that you live in with our more mobile young people mm -hmm. uh, it's more about how we can make property work for us yes. than it as a commodity and then of course there was the the fourth book is the story about the world which is the new estate insights from the 22nd century which isn't a very sexy title but but i think is a fun book and i hope a thought-provoking book and and if you get that i'd love to have conversations with you and then the most recent book which is up for a book award next month is the wealthy retirement plan a revolutionary guide to living the rest of your life in style and i think that book is pertinent to anyone wherever you are in the world it's about getting clear on what you want your life to be and then taking the steps that you need to uh, to to manifest your own future in the way that you want it to be because if you if you don't make a plan you'll end up being part of somebody else's plan instead mm -hmm. you need to yeah, take charge right absolutely well yeah that's great thank you and yeah i love to how people are taking like tiny homes and and or just buying land and you know using the land and living off of the land like with solar power and creating their own water and things like that so there's so many ways that we can change the way that we do things now that Absolutely. are going to make it more relevant for us and for future generations. I think it's, yep. I think it's very exciting. That's fantastic. Well, thank you. I look forward to reading your books and I'm very excited about them and congratulations on your award that's coming up. <laughs> thank you. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yes. Same. <laughs> okay. Thank well, thank you so much again. And I look forward to future conversations. Thank you, Catherine.